0: So this is the victorious marriage life lessons from the marriage counseling office. You've heard from Dr. Dave Morgan and uh, Dr. Chris Gonzalez, and uh, you have your doctorate, Ashley Dumas, Dr. Tracy Hall, and myself. We are all marriage and family therapists. We feel passion about uh, serving couples who desire to move out of difficult environments, diff- difficult experiences. So this class was set up on ways that we might share with you things that could be incorporated into your life. Perhaps you're not at a crisis point in your marriage where you don't know what to do, because when people get to that point, they often begin wondering, did I marry the wrong person? Will this ever turn around? I- is this just not a good thing? Perhaps there's someone else out there that's better than what I currently have. Perhaps it's just too much pain for us to overcome? And those are hard questions to process. Uh, Of course, my prayer would be that you would never encounter those difficult experiences. But when both are determined to pursue that, it makes it a much easier path. Not, Not easy in the sense that you still don't have the challenges and the difficulties. It's that when you're partnering on that journey, you have a greater opportunity to latch on something that's going to work within your marriage. The greater challenge is when you're in a marriage relationship in which you two are not on the same page. One, perhaps, is pursuing selfishness. The other one is wanting to pursue relationship. And this is where it becomes very difficult. Because the one who is usually interested in the relationship is willing to do whatever it takes in order to turn that marriage around. But the selfish person isn't really thinking about that. Because they're only thinking about themselves what they want, what they think is best for themselves, and they can't get everybody else on board with what they want because it's too selfish. It's not at all relational. So if you're on that path, and I believe you are because you're in this class, where you desire to stay connected and engaged in your relationship, you want to keep the conversation going. Our topic today is, you don't talk to me, you don't listen to me. So often, that's when couples begin to experience the challenge of uh, relational disruption, because they're both tired of talking, or they've tried to to talk about everything under the sun, but can't seem to find helpful, encouraging ways. Consider uh, Marilyn's uh, big complaint was that her husband, Bob, wouldn't talk to her. Bob says that it seems like Marilyn is walking around with pent-up anger and spewing her disgust wherever she goes. She tried to engage him at one time when, when she would ask, how was your day? And he's, He said, okay. It's kind of like a teenager who doesn't have a lot to offer mom and dad when uh, that uh, teenager comes home from school. So what would happen is she would start pursuing him. Uh, well, there's got to be more than just, okay, did you have meetings today? Was there anything especially exciting today? He'd shrug his shoulders and just look down or turn away or turn the sound on the TV up a little bit louder. What would happen was she would begin her feeling contempt toward him because he wasn't opening up. She would start criticizing him. You never talk to me. You never pay attention to me. You never interact with me. You never... Uh, Ask me about my day. So what he's remembering is now she's at a point of great anger. And so she is just walking around spewing disgust, disappointment, anger, upset. And he's going, I don't know what's going on, but at least it's peaceful. But what's happening is the divide in their marriage relationship is just growing. And he's not necessarily interested in trying to find a way to pull her out of her anger, because when he does, if he does say, do you want to talk about it? She says, no, I'm done. And she'll go and do something else. When a couple reaches this point, there has to be a decision for both to say, let's call a ceasefire. And often, that's in the counseling office. Because couples come into the room so filled with upset, so filled with disappointment, so filled with anger, that it's hard for them even to be in the same room. I can often tell when they're coming in in great uh, disappointment and divide, when they come into my office, and it's not a real big office. (laughs) But they sit as far away from each other as they can. And they don't even look at each other because the pain is so deep. They're really struggling because the things that they're remembering is the criticism, the accusation, the defensiveness. They're not that far away, and perhaps they've already started building that wall. And those are the four patterns uh, of um, disease in a relationship, if you will. It's the four horsemen that um, we've been talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse those always represent kind of the worst case scenario. It may be that in your own marriages, you've had some of this where you're tired and worn out at the end of the day, and you come home and you really don't want to have to regurgitate what's been happening all day long. You really do just want to kind of put it in neutral and coast the rest of the evening. But really, couples do want to find a way to engage and to have dialogue How do we do that when there's so much pain so much difficulty? The four poisonous patterns don't work. And it's amazing to me how often they're utilized as if we think they're going to work. Like, if I can criticize enough, what will that do? Ultimately, they'll be tired of the criticism and say, I get it. I'm stopping from this point forward. Thank you for reminding me. I've never heard that happen. Because it just is more like a, a, a nail into that divide. It's just, it's just creating more distance and, and more pain. So criticism doesn't work. There is the challenge of trying to find a way over the contempt that you have for the person. And often in marriage counseling we start talking about things about uh, like what drew you to each other initially. What were those things that you saw in your partner that led you to that day in which you said, I do. Because if you can move them to thinking about some of those things, it begins to give you a sense of what it was that drew them together and perhaps what you can use as foundation stones to help turn around the disruption that has occurred. Now you have to be a little bit careful. Obviously, you don't do that right off because you want to listen to their story. See, you don't listen to me. Perhaps that's one of the most valuable things within a counseling office is they've got someone that's listening. They're paying attention. They're taking notes. And they're focusing upon the hurt, the disappointment, the sadness that occurs within both of the partners. And they're wanting to pay attention to those things that are important to them. Here's what I discover almost universally. That when you begin asking couples what they would like to see occur in the counseling process, what is your best hope for this counseling journey? As I'm listening to them, hands down, they're almost saying the same thing. Well, I wish that we could talk together in peace. The husband says, I wish we didn't argue so much. Well, peace? No argument? I wish we could talk about things that weren't so painful. I wish we could talk about the things that are more fun and enjoyable. One might speak from a negative angle. One might speak from a positive angle. But when you think about it, at the very end, both of them are saying, we want a marriage that's different but more enjoyable than what we have now. We want to be able to talk together about the the hard things without raising our voices and without attacking each other, without criticizing, without defensiveness. They're really saying something very similar. They both still want the marriage experience. They both still want to get to a better place. Their tools just aren't working. Criticism is like a hammer. It just keeps creating more pain. And if you treat every conversation with a hammer, like if, for example, let's say the husband in this context says, time out. I'm just going to listen to you. And if, in this case, Marilyn says, oh, like after eight years, I've been begging you to." to listen to me, to give me some time, and now, now you want to listen to me? I'm done." And she turns and walks away. It's really hard to help that couple if they're going to hold on to the pain of their past. This is not an easy part of the transition in helping people begin to discover conversation, beginning to incorporate more uh, valuable tools into your toolbox. But it has to happen criticism, contempt, defensiveness, building the wall will keep you in an unsatisfied experience. So what are some of these new tools that will help us on our journey? So this is just a, yeah, we already know. I just said that. It's time to call a ceasefire. So incorporating patterns that will help rediscover the love that you have for each other. First, Tell each other what you want, rather than what you don't want. Keep in mind, we've been growing in a pool of dissatisfaction, hurt, anger, disappointment. And so out of that often comes what I uh, don't want. It's just not helpful. So in therapy, we try to help couples find the, well, what is it that you do want? I want to be able to have a conversation of respect. And then the husband says, yeah, that would sure be nice. I would like that conversation where there's more respect for each other. Well, let's talk about what does that look like when you're having a conversation of respect. Well, he's listening to me. He's paying attention. He's validating. Great, I like those important tools. And for you husband, what does it look like when she's speaking to you with respect? Well, she's not raising her voice. She's not criticizing. What is it that you would like? Well, I would like a lower volume of conversation. I would like to have no distractions around so that we can focus on each other you can begin to see how a couple can emerge into a different conversational experience. When you talk about what it is you do want as opposed to what you don't want. It's a switch that isn't easy though. Especially if you're both coming out of that pool of hurt and disappointment and anger. Instead of saying, I don't want you to call me names anymore. Try saying, I want to feel as if you respect me, as if I'm your friend. This is easier if you focus on the present rather than the past. Here's a hard one. Avoid concentrating on what your partner didn't do five years ago, five weeks ago, or even five minutes ago. Think about what you want from your partner in the moment. This is one of the top complaints I hear in the counseling office. It's the bringing up of old issues. Well, I get it. Because you see, there's a wound there. And it's hard to let the wound heal when it seems like the person who caused the wound is sitting not more than three feet from you. But here's where you have to incorporate the helpful conversational tool. You have to push the pause button. You have to take a deep breath. And you have to pay attention to what it is you want to achieve, not highlight all of the historical disappointments. That will just weigh you down. And that's what leads people usually to the divorce courts because they're so overwhelmed with sadness and disappointment, they cannot see hope. So turning that around, reminding yourself of what it is you would like in the present, Now, what I like to do in the counseling office is in fact use the counseling office as an opportunity to practice. Because I remind them, you don't have a recent history of interacting in that way. But, as I was listening to you tell me last session what it was that drew you to each other, I began realizing you've actually done this before. So I don't have to teach you a new lesson what we have to do is we just have to bring it back up and begin to utilize that experience again. Because you can talk respectfully. You can interact as friends. You can even talk about hard issues without raising your voices. You can actually listen attentively and validate what the other person is saying because you did that before. Now, let's practice that in the session. So as they begin talking about what it is that they both want in this process, so when the husband wants to jump in maybe ahead of time, I just put my hand up like this and let her finish. And then I ask him, Bob, what did you just hear Marilyn say? Well, she said, excellent, he's beginning to practice. Did you hear anything else? And how do you know if you heard what Marilyn said? He said, well, she's going to give me this. I go, exactly. So you want to pay attention to this because Marilyn will do this if you're not capturing what it is that she's saying. So in this first turnaround, being able to focus on what you want rather than what you don't want. Somebody has to start that though. Usually, couples who are both hurting want the other one to do it. Why? Because they're they're hurting. (laughs) And they feel like they've been the one pushing forward. Reflecting on the passage I read from Romans, be the first to outdo the other one. Be the first. Especially since both are in session, both have a desire to do something different and so if both of them are making that commitment to do it differently you can reach a place in which you feel encouraged that change is beginning to occur that you're beginning to talk in such a way that people that the other one is listening and that's important for the turnaround you've got to feel and have confidence that the other one is validating is listening so there's always the speaker there's always the listener you know that second Second principle, respond to each other's statements of need with open-ended questions. This is also hard, because this is where defensiveness generally has the best opportunity to be expressed. When someone says, "Um, I would like to speak with greater respect. Oh yeah, well I'd like to feel respected too. Immediately, you're moving away from what it is you're hoping to develop on your marriage journey. Defensiveness is one of those hard ones, because you might feel as though when the other one says, I wish we could have a conversation where there was mutual respect, the other one automatically thinks, oh, you're talking about me, aren't you? (laughs) That I'm just not respectful. Or like, you're always respectful. That will move you down away from the hope that you have for the counseling process. So don't jump in by stating your own need and avoid reacting defensively. Instead, here's where listening comes in. Because <laughs> you really do have to step aside from self. The marriage journey is so often about pushing the pause button when someone else is speaking. So if you can do that, and you try to listen and understand what your spouse is saying, here's where the questions can be helpful. What could I do that would make you feel more respected? It's a great question. Now it's like the person who is not speaking is interviewing, because he or she is wanting to understand what it is that respect looks like in your mind. So when you ask the question, well, what could I do that would make you feel more respected? And let's say in this case, Marilyn says, well, if you would listen and not interrupt. So if I was paying attention, that would help you feel more respected. Most husbands don't quite get that so early on, I may have to help them with that one. But it's valuable if we can just listen. That shows respect, like, I'm going to wait until you're finished. Now, Marilyn would need to be careful about having an opportunity of going on and on and on and on, you see, because it would move them off track. She needs to state clearly what it is that she would say, this helps me feel more respected. She has to avoid going back into the history and reminding him of all the times he didn't listen, all the times he didn't respect, all the times that she felt like she was talking to a brick wall. So both are having to give effort and energy to turning this big ship around. But it can happen. So as you're listening and understanding, you're not reacting, you're paying attention. Now here's where you have to do a little bit of self-development here. And I'm speaking to myself, I grew up with three brothers so defensiveness and attack was automatic. So for me, I had to do something to pause so I wasn't interrupting and I wasn't defending myself. I had to remind myself this is not about me right now, this is about me. As I trained myself to push the pause button, I got better and better at listening to what she was saying. Because I wanted to be able to validate what she was trying to tell me. And what's interesting is when you start that process, in no time, the other one also joins in. Learning to listen. Learning to validate more effectively. And that's what will help move you to the kind of marriage experience you both desire. Just remember this. Each person Is responsible for what they think, what they say, and how they behave. When you embrace that truth, you will move faster and further down the marital journey in successful ways. than if you put your thoughts, your words, and behaviors on your partner or some other situation. That's why ownership is so valuable on this journey of improving communication. Another great question, I think, is, can you tell me more about this? Sounds like a counselor's (laughs) phrase, doesn't it? (laughs) But it works! And it's sensible, it's reasonable, because the person who is listening wants to interview, they want to ask questions, they want to get to know what it is that the other person is saying, And so it's always a good question to say, can you tell me more about this? And then the third pattern that will help you rediscover that experience that you both desire is to express appreciation to the spouse who's been listening. Tell your partner when you feel you've been heard and say, thank you, that felt more respectful. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving effort, for giving energy to paying attention to what I was saying. These simple steps can be used under just about any circumstances, any topic. It could be that you want to ask about a need for companionship, uh, your sexual relationship, a balanced checkbook, uh, help with chores. The dynamics are all the same. Because, you see, you can incorporate accusation, contempt, criticism, defensiveness, all in those topics. So, whatever it is that you feel tension, if you can recall these three simple truths, you can find new hope in the way that you're interacting. The thing that i find most frustrating for couples is it just doesn't happen like that because there is an automatic response that's been building over the lifetime of the disappointment if you have a pattern of appreciation you can get over those little hiccups much easier but if the pool is built on the criticism and the defensiveness, the accusations, the contempt, it's harder to make that shift. Most people want it to happen like this. And my reminder is, it just won't. In some some experiences, you're actually having to learn a new skill. And it may take a while to learn that skill of being able to push the pause button and listen. See, I didn't have to learn that skill growing up with my three brothers. Nobody was telling me, Mike, really, you should listen to what your older brother is saying. Perhaps there's some truth in what he's saying. There was no truth whatsoever. I had to defend myself. (coughs) You see? But that doesn't work so well in marriage. Because our, our relationship is different. Our partnership is determined to move in good and positive ways. So the truth about a marriage turnaround is that it's the small positive things done often that can make a difference. You did what was right. You said what you needed. You asked good questions and you expressed appreciation. Those seem so simple don't they? But They are so powerful in turning a marriage around from heading down toward those difficult patterns toward an experience that you both really wanted when you said, I do, on your wedding day. The key to a happy relationship is to keep things moving in a positive direction. The interesting thing is, all along the journey of marriage, there are hiccups. There are challenges. Things that will come at you that you didn't anticipate, that you didn't imagine. There's still going to be feelings of hurt and disappointment. Uh, There are still times that uh, Nadine and I disagree. And it seemed to me early on that my role and goal was to get her to adopt my perspective, simply because it was the correct one. (laughs) Yes. But that only produced arguments, frustrations, because she's a smart lady. She's got good perspectives. So when I began giving myself permission, really, to pay attention to what she was saying, and that she had something of great value to offer, and that perhaps I really don't have it all together like I thought I did, those all play out in a a way to improve the experience of the marriage journey. Because I really don't have it all together. In fact, I know less now today than I did back when I was 18. You know that experience. But I want to learn about relationship because, you see, our goal on our wedding day is that we would love, honor, and cherish each other for as long as we both shall live. I don't want to dishonor that commitment. So learning these processes are valuable. So what do we need to do? Fan those sparks of good feelings toward each other. Look for those moments that just are little things that mean a lot. Draw attention to them. That's where that passage, I think, comes to mind. But when you recognize the value of expressing fondness for your partner, admiring your partner, they are the perfect anecdotes to contempt. I think I missed some of those. So... Be on the lookout. Constantly scan your environment and observe your interactions with your partner. Rather than finding fault, look for evidence that your partner is getting it right. Catch your partner doing something right. It's kind of like I've seen little magnets on refrigerators. It's Catch your kid doing something right. We often think that may be the best place to start to help them feel better about themselves. I'd say, well, start with your spouse. Catch them doing something right. The small things are the things that will start building a strong foundation for the kind of marriage experience that you'd like. And second, express it. Find excuses to offer compliments and praise for what you're noticing. The little things. How she fixed her hair. How he helped clean up the kitchen. How she brought bought your favorite ice cream. How he helped uh, <clears throat> Uh, doing something else around the house, or perhaps watching your favorite television show over his. Those little things, those small things, can contribute to the kind of marriage experience we are all interested in developing. When you see them, let your partner know what you've noticed and that you're grateful. Those things seem so simple. It's really how couples started. They spent time focusing on what the other one was bringing to their world that was blessing their world. They would highlight the things they liked about the other person. They would spend time sharing all of those good feelings toward each other and it began happening over and over and over again. They were sparking the, the they were They were fanning the flames, if you will, to that point in which they said, we can't live without each other. This is going to be the best marriage on this planet. And then they look at their friends getting married and they're in disappointment and frustration and they're going, we will never let our marriage be like that. You're mindful about it. And then life happens. Things start picking up speed, especially with career and building a home or getting a home set up and pursuing uh, other activities. And then children come along and they take a lot of energy. And sometimes it's the frustration and the, the, just the journey of wanting children and then not coming as quickly as you want and then finding other issues. And you just see how life becomes so heavy, so challenging, so difficult. How do we turn it around? Those simple principles. Pay attention, listen, validate, express appreciation. Those are the kinds of things that will get people talking again. So I've got a couple of exercises that you can take home. One is called, is there more room for fondness and admiration in your marriage? I'll just go this way. I I think it's probably I've got enough for one per couple. And so if you would, you'll notice as you get this, one spouse is on this side, one spouse is on this side. So if you have a copy machine, you can make another copy or just cover this one side when one does it so that you don't look at what your partner is doing uh, when you're filling it out. But this might help you uh, assess the current state of How are we expressing fondness? How are we showing admiration in our marriage? Is it true? Is it false? Hopefully you'll find that there are many ways that you are practicing those things. And then, sometimes we just need helpful words. And this exercise, we may have a little bit of time to do it here just start right here again. This is the three things exercise where you get to practice three things I like about you. You can keep this somewhere too. I would suggest uh, as you keep dating, remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that that's one way to stir up uh, good feelings. Go on a date and let it be a real date. Like, Don't talk about your kids, don't talk about finances, don't talk about all the troubles of life, in-laws, etc. Focus on each other. So if you need some help, here's an exercise. Pull out. Say, let's start off with the three things exercise. Three things that I love about you, three things that I adore about you. If you need some words, sometimes uh, we guys are a little slow on having the kind of words that are meaningful and helpful. So here's a helpful sheet for you to uh, Uh, to use, to build on. You can also Google words uh, if you're so inclined. (laughs) But there's a lot of helpful information out there. I just want you to hear this. When you're feeling caught in great difficulty and you feel like there's just not a lot of hope, somebody has to raise the white flag and say, I don't think this is what either of us wanted. Can we start again? I know there's a lot of pain, but can we just start with today? When when someone does that, even if the other person says, I don't know right now, I can't even think about it. The one who raised the white flag, if they could just simply say, okay... Maybe tomorrow. Somebody has to plant a hopeful seed. Sometimes it's in therapy when couples come to therapy. Not all couples go to therapy. But honestly, somebody has to be able to start the turnaround and keep the message of hope going. Say, I think we can get to a better place. Would you be open to talking to somebody? Maybe there's somebody at church. Maybe there's an experienced couple that could mentor you. Maybe you don't have to pay someone for counseling. Or maybe your church will help you. Otter Creek will help. But there is a way, if you ever feel like things have become so heavy that you just don't feel very hopeful. I want to encourage you to recognize there is hope. Questions, thoughts? Thoughts? Next week, Tracy Hall will be speaking on You Don't Understand Me, Getting to the Heart of the Matter. There may be a little bit of a overlay simply because uh, we've had a lot of overlay in the, in the presentations in this class. Um, but hopefully they've been of value to you and uh, I'll close with prayer and we'll send you on your way. Holy Father, descend upon us and may we sense your presence. You are the God of hope. I pray for the couples present here today that you (coughs) provide them with hope and encouragement on their journey of marriage. Bless them in Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have a blessed Easter.